Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello everyone and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. This is our Match Day 34 recap. I'm your host, Ewan McTeer, and this episode is also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've got eight fixtures to discuss from the weekend, while Levante versus Real Sofidad and Sevilla versus Ibar will complete Match Day 34 on Monday night. And in this episode, we're going to start with the title race because it was a huge weekend in the tussle for the title. I'll admit, I actually thought that both Real Madrid and Barcelona might drop points this weekend, but that was completely wrong as they both won. Real Madrid first defeated Athletic Club 1-0 away from home on Sunday afternoon before Barcelona thrashed a very informed Villarreal side 4-1 on Sunday night. Let's focus on Real Madrid first because they are the leaders and let's do so with Matt Clark. It was 1-0, it was another penalty scored by Sergio Ramos. Matt, is he the best penalty kick taker? in the world? Well, with his recent record, you'd have to put him up there, wouldn't you? I mean, it's remarkable. If you include shootouts, he scored his last 22 without missing a single one. And whichever way you look at it, that's a remarkable record. Why is he so good? Well, I think his unpredictability is one thing, because if you look at the graphs of where he puts his penalties, they're all in different positions and he varies it up quite a bit. And uh, his technique allows him to kind of wait and see if the goalkeeper's going to make a move, which gives him the advantage. The other thing as well is his confidence. I mean, he's absolutely flying at the moment. And with a a much improved defence around him and a a really strong team, he's just got that confidence. He's never doubted himself, let's be honest. But he's now got that extra inner belief. And yeah, he just doesn't look like he's going to miss one. What did you think about the couple of penalty incidents in this game? The one that led to Ramos' penalty, I think it was a clear penalty. But Athletic Club felt like they should have been awarded one as well. Another Real Madrid game and another incident involving VAR. It just seems to follow them around at the moment. Um, I can understand why Zidane doesn't want to talk about it. He just wants to talk about his team's performances, which are churning out win after win at the moment. Um, But at the same time, I can see why Athletic Club are are really aggrieved by this one. Uh, Iker Munyain after the game was was very, very frustrated with the decision. And uh, when you look at both penalties, I think they're very similar in the type of of foul that... uh, occurs. So I think uh, if you give one, you probably have to give the other one too. But I don't buy into these conspiracy theory talks. Um, I know it's going to dominate the papers and on social media, but that's uh, that's just the world we live in, isn't it? Ramos's partner in central defence for this one was Eder Militao. He had a great game and showed that he can be relied upon, didn't he? Really impressive performance from him as part of that Real Madrid defence, which seems uh, impregnable at the moment. He's had a relatively tough start to his uh, Real Madrid career. He's only started 11 matches. And that included the, uh, the 3-0 defeat at PSG, the defeat at Mallorca and the defeat uh, against Betis just before the lockdown. So I can imagine that Madridistas would have been a little bit wary to lose a player like Rafael Varane. And as good as their defence has been, it has been with that kind of first choice back four that has led that so well. Um, but no, and this, this performance was, was really strong from him. 
he looked calm and composed. And he's still really young, you know, for a centre-back. He's, uh, he's still learning the game. And it's his first season in Spain at a top club like Real Madrid with all the pressures that that brings. So, yeah, I think overall he'll be quite happy with uh, how this season has gone. He's, he's a reliable backup for the present and a definite prospect for the future. Yeah, it's scary how good Real Madrid's backups are. They can lose a talent like Varane for a match and still keep a clean sheet. They're fourth in a row. It really does look now like Real Madrid will win the league, which would mean Zidane has actually won two leagues out of his three full seasons as a coach. Does he deserve more credit? Yes, the title looks destined for Madrid, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, you have to give Zinedine Zidane massive credit for the way Real Madrid have performed this season in general, and especially since the restart. It seems baffling to me that a manager who has won the Champions League three times in a row still gets questioned in terms of his tactical ability and, and his coaching strengths. But you're right, this, this would be two uh, La Liga titles in, in his three full seasons as Real Madrid coach. And, you know, in the era of Barcelona and Messi, that, that is not to be sniffed at because he's turned them around quite remarkably in the space of uh, 12, 13, 14 months. We know that Barcelona have had their problems, but equally it's easy to forget how far behind Real Madrid were this time last year. Uh, I mean, they were out of everything by March before Zidane came back. And, uh, and this season, he's already won the Supercopa. They're still alive in the Champions League, and you never know in that one. And, and yeah, they're looking on course to win La Liga. So, uh, again, he's just adding to his, his legend status at the club and uh, looks like he'll be adding another La Liga trophy very soon. Thank you, Matt. So, Real Madrid's win meant that Barcelona went into their Sunday night match at Villarreal seven points behind, but they played excellently to cut the gap to four points again. After forcing an early on goal, Barcelona scored some really nice goals for Luis Suarez, Antoine Griezmann and Ansu Fati for a 4-1 win. Let's discuss this one now with Barcelona fan Roman de Arquer. How impressed were you, Roman, with the attitude of Barcelona? Even though they went into the match seven points behind, they played ambitiously from the beginning and I thought all of the body language was really good. I mean, few thought that Barcelona would put on this performance after how things have been going, you know. It was not just about the poor uh, way of playing that they've uh, been going through, but also the poor results and dropping so many points and just seeing how Madrid can't stop winning. And you thought that maybe this Villarreal, who'd start off so well, could put uh, Barcelona into a lot of trouble again. And for a few moments, you know, when they got a quick draw, it seemed like they were still in form. But Barcelona kept their level uh, up offensively and it was just a great game. And as you said, it was not just the way they play, but also the attitude, which was excellent. And uh, they always believed they could win this game since the first minute and definitely one of Barcelona's best performances this season. A couple of really nice goals in this game. Which was your favourite? There were lots of lovely goals from Barcelona in this one, but I definitely have to go with Griezmann's. I mean, that flick over Asenjo was just class. And the way Messi assisted him with that back heel and not looking, I mean, it made the goal look amazing overall. And I was very impressed with Griezmann in this game. His performance was fantastic. And despite all the controversy he's been through, uh, he's proven to everyone that he's focused on succeeding at Barcelona, which is the most important thing. Is Luis Suarez's 2019-20 season underrated? It's now 14 goals in 24 La Liga matches. With Luis Suarez, I just feel there's 
this kind of love-hate relationship between him and the fans because he's capable of putting in really good performances but then he might have two, three, four games where he barely has an impact. I mean, he's always good at dragging out defenders out of the way, opening up spaces and that kind of uh, hard work but then you just feel like he should be providing so much more but then in another game he just might score with uh, two touches, two goals and kind of compensate. You could consider he's having a really good season but if you follow him day to day I don't think it's an underrated season from him. I just think um, he's still capable of scoring, but he hasn't provided in all the games as much as he used to uh, in previous years. Finally, looking ahead, Espanyol could be mathematically relegated at the Camp Nou on Wednesday. How is this situation being viewed in Catalonia? Well, I know there are a lot of fans which are licking their lips with this situation because as you know, there's a rivalry here, here between Espanol and Barcelona. So the opportunity for a culé uh, to relegate Espanol to Segunda División is definitely like a dream come true for some of them. But then again, there's the other set of fans, with, like me, for example, which we kind of appreciate the fact that Espanol is in Primera División and that there are more than one Catalan side playing in this competition. So it's going to be sad, you know, to, to see them go down to Segunda if it finally happens mathematically. And if that's the case, we will really hope that they do come back to Primera sooner than later. Thank you, Roman. Let's stick with the relegation battle a bit now and let's start by focusing on Real Valladolid 1, Alaves 0, a match that meant a lot for both clubs for different reasons. For Alaves, it meant the dismissal of coach Asir Garitano, after Ruby was also fired at Betis, Abelardo Espanyol, and Albert Saladis at Valencia. This is the fourth sacking since the restart. The decision was taken by Alaves owner Josian Kerejeta after five consecutive defeats, so let's speak to Alaves fan Rob Hextall now, who lives in the city of Vitoria. It's been quite a busy week and a week of mixed emotions for the club owner Kerejeta, hasn't it? As president of basketball team Basconia, he spent Tuesday night celebrating being crowned champions of Spain after beating FC Barcelona in a nail-biting final of the end-of-season playoff series. And on Wednesday, he announced that coach Dusko Ivanovic had been renewed for next season. A few days later, however, in his other presidential role at Deportivo Alaves, he was getting his hands dirty in the unhappier side of sport, terminating contracts. Seven games into the restart, with just one win and with five successive defeats, what should have been a relatively simple end to the season has turned into an unexpected dabble with relegation strife. Alaves still have a six-point margin over Mallorca, effectively seven points when taking into account the head-to-head results, but the last four games are against Real Madrid, Getafe, Betis and Barcelona. And it's not unimaginable that Mallorca could pull off a miracle survival stunt. With that in mind, it's hardly surprising that Josian Killer Kerajeta has taken action and relieved Asier Garitano of his duties. And it had been quite an up and down season overall for Garitano, hadn't it? Garitano nearly went in the autumn after a really poor start. But things picked up, signings were made and the team seemed to have found its style, even if it wasn't a pretty one. The club hasn't been in relegation spots all season and Garitano had a contract that would be renovated automatically in the case of staying up. But the sense of insecurity and the fact that the team hasn't found any consistent style of play 
and has been over-reliant on the top two goal scorers all season has meant the end of this essentially failed experiment. Alaves had hoped that Garitano could bring to Mendizorotha that magic formula that he had found at Leganés, but in a repeat of his experience at Real Sociedad, something just didn't click. In what has been one of the strangest seasons in football history, one of the most normal things has occurred. José Anquerajeta has sacked someone. <laughs> yes, some normality in this time of new normality. Since their promotion to the top division in 2016, Alaves have had seven different coaches sit in the dugout for at least one game and they'll have an eighth against Real Madrid on Friday night in their next match. That man is Juan Roman Lopez Muniz, probably best known for getting Levante promoted a few years back. We'll see if he can keep Alaves up now over the final four match days. Let's stick with this game now though because I want to focus a little on Real Valladolid with Martin Devlin, the man behind the Pusela Escocia fan group. After late heartbreak in the previous match against Levante with a missed penalty, how much sweeter was the late euphoria of this Real Valladolid win? It was such a shame for the supporters to not be in the stands to witness it happen, but there was widespread delight and relief too as this win all but secured their status as a top flight team for the next season. One of the things that made the victory so special was that it came relatively late in the match, in the 88th minute, so a lot of people were beginning to assume that the team was going to record its 11th draw in 17 home matches. Also, the goal came from a very unlikely source, the defender Joaquin Fernandez. He had scored just once until this point, so almost nobody could have predicted that he would be the match winner. For someone so tall, you'd expect him to score through headers, but he was lurking in the box to turn the loose ball home on Saturday, and he celebrated with a bit of a bizarre manoeuvre which could probably best be described as dad dancing. The weird dancing aside, that celebration was passionate from the players. You could tell how much this win meant to them. It proved that every game means something, didn't it? Even if some sort of joked about this fixture, sort of suggesting that watching Real Valladolid versus Alaves was a weird way to spend a Saturday night, but... Martin, you actually called out that attitude on Twitter, didn't you? That's absolutely right. These players don't take winning for granted, and therefore every win matters to them. They have fought so well this season, and they've had a large amount of bad luck, so it was fantastic to see them to be able to celebrate a victory. As I said earlier, it's just a shame it was in an empty stadium, as the fans are very passionate and loyal. And that's really what my tweet was about. I read so many negative things about this club, even when they win and it is usually from people on the outside looking in. They take a quick look at the table and see that they're near the bottom, they see how many draws the team has had, and then there seems to be an assumption that the team plays bland and spectacular football. There is also a wider culture of criticism, whereby it's easy to judge all other clubs against the achievements of the most successful ones, and this is unfair. I see a lot of this being reflected onto Real Valladolid, with some of their games being described as boring and not worth watching. OK, I'll be the first to admit, this wasn't the glamour fixture that you would put on a poster advert to talk up La Liga, but then I wouldn't necessarily use the Cleveland Browns against the Jacksonville Jaguars to convert someone to the NFL, or Southampton versus Bournemouth to get someone to commit to being an English Premier League fan. Real Valladolid don't claim to be football club Barcelona, they don't claim to be Real Madrid. They don't have the facilities, the finances or the clout to attract the big names, but they aren't afraid to be different and they play within their means and they're financially stable. I've said on this podcast before that this is a long-term project and it is exactly that. It's a club on the rise and they will challenge more in the future than they do now. 
So tell us a little more about the long-term project. Can you just put into context how impressive it is for Real Vitaly to stay up for another season, which it looks like they will, and just how far the club has come since Sergio took over as coach? It's a massive achievement. What people don't see is the effort that Sergio gets from his players, and, well, let's face it, there are no superstars in his lineup. What he does have, though, is a squad full of players who want to give it their all, and he's able to squeeze just enough out of them to survive. He has done wonders for the club and for the city of Valladolid. Remember, he took over with the team spinning its wheels in 12th place in Segunda, and he led them to promotion in the same season. And furthermore, he's taken them to what looks like two consecutive seasons of survival. He's doing this on a minute budget compared to other teams in the league, and he should be commended for his work. Thanks, Martin. So, Real Valladolid looks set to be staying up, but the relegation battle may still have some intrigue in it as we approach the final weeks of the season. After this short break, we'll discuss that at the beginning of part two, coming up in just a few ticks. Welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We were just discussing Real Valladolid versus Alaves before the break and let's carry on by looking towards the bottom of the table. Real Mallorca are in 18th place on 29 points in the final relegation spot after they lost this weekend's match away at Atletico Madrid 3-0. They've been terrible all season on the road so I don't think anyone really expected them to get something at the Wanda Metropolitano where two Alvaro Morata goals and a deflected Koke strike kept Atleti rolling on towards Champions League qualification. It left Real Mallorca six points behind Alaves, who we discussed in part one, behind Ibar, who are playing their match day 34 game on Monday, and behind Celta Vigo, who earned an intense 1-1 draw with Real Betis over the weekend. Those three teams are all on 35 points, and maybe that's catchable for Real Mallorca. But the task is even tougher for Leganes and Espanyol, the teams in 19th and 20th. They actually played each other in this weekend in what was basically a scrap just to maintain any hope of staying up. A Jonathan Silva goal saw Leganes win at 1-0, meaning that Espanyol could now mathematically be relegated this week at the Camp Nou, as we discussed with Roman in Part 1. Leganes are still surely doomed too, but can keep dreaming a little bit longer. To discuss their situation and their long-term plan, let's bring in Madrid football expert Brendy Boyle now. And when I say Madrid football expert, I'm talking about all levels of Madrid football, from Real Madrid and Atletico to the regional leagues. Brendy is all over what's going on in the capital. That includes Leganes, of course. It looks like they're going down, Brendy. But how confident are you in their ability to bounce back up? I think the vast majority of La Liga fans are going to be sad to see Leganes relegated to the Segunda. But there is many reasons to be positive. They're a stable and well-run family club. Their finances are in great shape after the sales of Yusuf Enesiri and Martin Braithwaite. They'll receive the parachute package um, upon relegation, so they should be very competitive in the transfer market this summer. They have very close links to Real Madrid. We've seen it in the past with loan signings of uh, Lunin and Oscar. So I'm expecting them this summer to, to return to 
uh, Jan Martin with their cap in hand and to request maybe one or two more uh, loan signings from Madrid's burgeoning academy. And of course, the Segunda is an extremely competitive league. Um, next season, we could have the likes of Almeria and Huesca still there, Rio, Girona, Mallorca, Zaragoza, if they don't um, get promoted this, this round. Um, obviously Deportivo should be much stronger along with the likes of Obi and Malaga so it's going to be a really difficult task but I think what Leganes have in their favour is something that's extremely underrated at the Segunda level and that is stability so I'm expecting them to be very competitive in the Segunda um, obviously Espanyol will be the outright favourites because of who they are but I expect Leganes to be very competitive and they will be hoping for at least a playoff place um, if not an automatic promotion but they're realistic they know how competitive the division is so they'll want a solid start and build from there Who do you think will be in charge at the club because Javier Giri is surely off could there perhaps be a reunion with Asir Gaditano who's just been sacked with Alaves and who is still loved at Butaki because of how he took Liga up to the Primera Yeah I was thinking about that Last week, in terms of Garitano, after seeing him in charge at Real Sociedad and now at Alaves, it's pretty clear that in terms of level, Garitano is more suited to the likes of Leganes, where the onus isn't on his team to attack and be creative. Um, so in that sense, given that Ed Leganes will uh, in all likelihood be looking for a new manager th- this summer and Garitano will be looking for employment... And also given the tendency of many managers in Spain to return to their former clubs, I think there is a very good chance that we see Asir Garitano returning to Butarque. Even if Leganes aren't in the first division next season, we might still have more than three Madrid-based teams there. Can you provide an update on those pushing for promotion currently in the Segunda and of the Madrid-based promotion aspirants? Which one's more likely to come up, in your opinion? In terms of the Madrid teams in the Segunda, we really have a mixed bag here in the Spanish capital. Rayo Vallecano continue to be very much Rayo Vallecano. Their disarray off the pitch in terms of player contracts and Paco Jemez falling out with the owner he never talks to. Those type of problems have translated to the performances on the pitch, which have been uninspiring and extremely up and down we have Alcorcón who are a very curious team the second worst home team in the league but they're the best away team in the league and they've made a late push for the playoff places and given that away form they're going to be really dangerous in the coming weeks and Fuenlabrada who also had a new lease of life under Sandoval and who knows, with a couple of wins in the next week or so, they could make a late push into the playoff places. So it's all to play for. The most likely is Alcorcón, then Fuenlarada, and then let's see what Rayo Vallecano. Anything is possible with Rayo. Yeah, you never know what to expect with Rayo. Very interesting stuff, Brendy. Thanks for that update. We'll all be keeping an eye on the Segunda in these next few weeks to see who's coming up and who's staying down. One team that certainly won't be playing in the Segunda next season is Granada. They came up as runners-up of that division last summer and many picked them to be relegated, including myself, I must admit. 
but they've already mathematically secured survival and could even still qualify for the Europa League. Let's talk to Granada season ticket holder Heath Chesters who has worked around the club over many years. Heath, their most recent match was a 2-2 draw against Valencia with lots of back and forth action. What were your emotions watching that one? Well, I think that second half was a whole gamut of emotions, really. Um, there was the disappointment that Granada hadn't had the lead already, um, given that the amount of chances that they had in the first half and, and dominated the game against a, a very poor-looking Valencia side. Um, obviously, satisfaction when they took the lead through that, that penalty. Um, and then utter disbelief when Valencia hit with a double salvo of goals uh, and had the lead after really doing nothing all the way through the game. Um, but then afterwards, obviously, as I've said quite a lot before, Granada never quit. They pulled themselves back into the game, equalised, um, and were looking for a winner. So uh, this is a team that never says die. Um, they never give up anything as a lost cause, and that's only something that you can be proud of as a Granada fan. It was through a penalty, but it was yet another goal for Granada forward Carlos Fernandez. How great a find has he been? Well, I think it's fair to say that the longer the season has gone on, uh, the more impressive Carlos Fernandez has been. Um, that goal against Valencia uh, takes him now to eight goals and three assists. Um, and he's one of the best performing informed players in the team at the moment. Uh, so definitely everybody in Granada has been very impressed with him. Whether we get to keep him beyond the end of this season remains to be seen. I think um, Sevilla would be happy to have him back the way he's been playing. Uh, he's also on the verge of a Spain call-up. Um, he had a fax through just before the, the COVID lockdown, um, making him aware that he'd be ready for a call-up for the, the Spanish national team. So um, obviously he's, he's in that frame and, and deservedly so. Um, but I think he's, he's a player that can still keep getting better, can still keep learning. Um, his movement off the ball is superb. He's an intelligent player. Um, he's got an eye for goal. He's not an out-and-out -out striker, um, but he can hit the back of the net. Uh, his overall play and contribution and teamwork's very good. So I think um, he'll definitely be a very good player in the future for, for Sevilla. Um, Although I would like to see him stay at Granada, obviously. As I was saying before, Granada are already mathematically safe from relegation. Can you explain just how impressive an achievement that is for them to be safe with several weeks to spare? Well, it's hard not to be impressed by what Granada have achieved this season um, on course to finish in the top half of the table and having reached the Copa del Rey semi-finals. Uh, and all that, considering that they've got a fraction of the budget of the majority of clubs in La Liga um, so it's definitely something to be a proud of uh, a great achievement for this club and in the first season back in the top flight uh, and to be safe uh, several weeks ahead of the end of the season um, and comfortably so definitely very very much something that everybody including the fans can be can be very proud of Thanks Heath and Europa League qualification is also still possible for Granada they're currently ninth one point behind Athletic in 8th and 3 behind Real Sociedad in 7th. Taffy then are just above Real Sociedad in 6th but it's not quite right at the Coliseum still. This weekend they drew 0-0 with Osasuna but that remains just one win out of 7 for Hatafi since the restart so definitely keep an eye on Hatafi to see if they can cling on to their own European spot. 
As I mentioned at the top, there's two more fixtures still to take place in match day 34, the Monday night clashes between Levante and Real Sofidad and between Sevilla and Eibar. The calendar is getting a little bit skewed now with the weekends and midweeks all merging into one and for that reason our next podcast won't actually be coming out on Thursday morning as it usually does. Instead our match day 35 recap will be out first thing on Saturday morning once that entire round of action has been completed with Real Madrid versus Alaves on the Friday night. In the meantime, follow La Liga Lowdown on Twitter to keep up to date with everything that's going on in Spanish football. And for now, my thanks go out to all of the contributors to this episode, to Matt Clark, to Roman de Arcair, to Rob Hextall, to Martin Devlin, to Brendy Boyle, and to Heath Chesters. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and I thank you very much for listening. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.